single one of you, and ask God blessing upon everything. So, Father, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would just speak unto our hearts. We have hungry hearts, Lord, and we pray that you would minister to us. We pray that there would be an anointing upon the word, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, and Lord, that we'd get through this as, uh, as effectively and as quickly uh, as time will allow. So, Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon the word. Your word is spirit and life. We pray that you feed in our spirits this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just as we start this morning, I'd like to uh, just have you join me in saying good morning to uh, our Zoomers. So on the count of three, will you say morning Zoomers? One, two, three. Morning, morning Zoomers! Hallelujah. Welcome. Praise God. So uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, we still in Second Peter. Uh, and we started this uh, just before the school holidays, and uh, we're still stuck in verse one. But uh, we, 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 we will make we will make some progress today. I hope um, the things that we've been looking at in verse one have been encouraging to you. But we ask God's blessing upon the word. So Second Peter, uh, chapter one, and we're just going to look at the first couple of verses there. And uh, I can find my glasses. So many pockets. That's why. It's, here we go. Praise God. Glory. Okay. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten uh, that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. How many want to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful yes, servant. Amen. Yes. Yes. If you do these things that we're looking at this morning, then that's going to happen. It says, Wherefore the brethren, verse 10, uh, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an assurance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I just want to give a very brief recap because it's been two weeks or three weeks since I, I last started sharing on this. And we, we looked at verse 1 and got stuck in there. But um, we, we saw basically that, that we, we were slaves to sin, that uh, we were stuck uh, in the sinful way of life and that Jesus came uh, to the slave market and purchased us. We keep bought us. The, we, the truth is, as Christians, we belong to the Lord. He bought us, and, and that's the word agarazzo, and it's, it means to, to purchase from, from the market. And so Jesus 
purchases from the slave market. And very quickly moving on, we see that we saw that our uh, basic function, our, uh, the most important thing that we can do in our Christian relationship is living a life of utmost obedience to the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. All too often we saw that the modern church uh, behaved like uh, Philemon, the runaway slave. And, uh, you know, he was rebellious, self-seeking, casting off all obligations, uh, seeking a life of pleasure, doing what he wanted to do, basically. And there are many in the church who are not doulosses, uh, servants to the Lord, or slaves to the Lord, uh, but are like Philemon, running away, doing their own thing, uh, living after their own desires. We also looked at Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the great news of Christianity, that God forgives us of our sins. No matter how grievous, no matter how terrible they've been, there is no sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Isn't Amen. 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 Hallelujah. And so we see that they were abundantly pardoned. That's the, the Hebrew word, salach. And it means to be completely or totally forgiven, to be pardoned completely. So it's actually prefixed by the word rabbah in Hebrew. And it means to be exceedingly or abundantly uh, pardon. So there's not one sin that you're not forgiven of through the, through the blood of Christ. Yes. And that's the glorious truth that we can know that we are right with God because Jesus has died for our sins. Okay. Then we looked at Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, and I'll just read them for you. Uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And we saw that there was a two-step process in our Christian walk. And we, we were encouraged to live a, a living sacrifice. And we saw that um, Paul says, I beseech you, I urge you, yes. I plead with you, yes. I implore you. It's a very strong word that he says. And he says, Brethren, by the mercies of God. So how do we present our lives a living sacrifice? By the mercies of God. Not by human effort. Not by our, our sheer guts and determination. That's not how you do it. You will fall short if you rely on the flesh to crucify the flesh. Can I have an amen? Amen. And so we, we actually present our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice by the mercies of God. That word mercies we saw is, is the Greek word oiktromos, and it literally means compassion. So we present our bodies as a living sacrifice by the compassion, by the grace of God. It also carries the idea of sympathy, kindness, and the goodness of God. And then we, we looked at that, that concept uh, within uh, Lamentation 3.22, understanding what this word mercy means. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, His compassion, His sympathy, His kindness and goodness never come to an end. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He's awesome, you know. They never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning you foul up, God's got mercy for you. It's awesome. They are new every morning, great as your faithfulness. Step two we saw was uh, the, the Greek word anakinosis. And it literally means the renovation or the renewing of your mind. 
And uh, this is so important because uh, you grow in Christ, you are transformed, and you develop as a Christian by the renewing of your mind. Folks, that's worth the price of admission itself. <laughs> if you hear nothing else today, hear that you grow, you change, you develop, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we, we need to understand no renewing of the mind, no growth, no progress, only stagnation. And so it becomes incumbent upon us as believers to, to renovate our minds, to renew our minds if we're going to become like God. It, that requires discipline and it requires us memorizing and meditating the Word of God. There's nothing like the Word of God to bring change, growth and revival into your life. You know, I was a Christian for many years. I've told you this before. I'll keep it real short. But I didn't, I didn't even know the books of, of, of the Bible. They made me a deacon in the church, and I didn't know which were the books in the New Testament. <laughs> Honestly. You know? But then I went to seminary because they asked me to take over a church. I thought, what are these guys thinking? You know? I, I didn't know where the books of the Bible were, and they wanted me to run a church. I thought, no, if I'm going to do this, I need some training. And so I went, and I, one of the things that they uh, insisted on doing is that you had to memorize uh, lots of scripture. And they, they gave us great teeth. And as I began to memorize it, my spirit just burst alive. It was like I was being born again all over again. Like 20 years after I'd been saved, suddenly I began to realize how glorious and how wonderful and how amazing the salvation was because I was renewing my mind. Okay, so I, I really want to encourage you to, to pick, a, pick a verse this week and, and, and start to memorize it, meditate upon it. And see what God does. You'll start an explosion. Uh, you'll start a revival in your spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. So today, we're still stuck in verse 1. But uh, we're going we're to get a little bit further. So it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtained precious faith, like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that phrase, to them that have obtained like Precious faith. Well, what was the faith like that, that we've obtained? Do you remember the story in, in uh, Thessalonica? Uh, the disciples went in there and people were so in, uh, upset, really, with, with the disciples because they said, these are the people that have come and have turned the world upside down. And so this was really the moving of the Holy Spirit and it had impacted the place. You know, it, it was quite incredible because you see that uh, there were healings, there were miracles, there were salvations, there were riots, there were revivals. The kingdom of God was being manifest. It was having an impact upon society. That was the kind of faith that they operated in. Peter called it like precious faith. That means our standing with the Lord today is exactly the same as that of the apostles centuries ago. They had no special advantage over the church today. We have equal standing with the, with the, with the disciples and with Christ. Just because they had the privilege of walking and talking and seeing Jesus doing the, the miracles that he did firsthand, the Bible makes it quite clear that they had no special privilege. Uh, we have a like precious faith. Didn't Jesus say, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these? Because we have a like precious faith. And so we see what God's trying to say to us. 
We have the same precious faith as Christ and the apostles. I want that to sink into your spirit. We have the same precious faith as Christ and the apostles. But in this verse, it says this, to them that have obtained like precious faith. And that's really interesting because that's the, the, the Greek word lankana. And lankana actually means to receive or to obtain. And so uh, when you understand that there are many in the church today that have not obtained the like precious faith. In fact, they'll turn around and tell you that uh, the, the gift of miracles is not for today. It passed away with the last disciples. And so there can be no more miracles. There can be no more things. And so they will never obtain the like precious faith of Christ who did miracles. The disciples who did miracles and signs and wonders. You know, if you look at actually 16, it's really amazing because it really contradicts that whole philosophy. Because the, the miracle that took place in Acts 3.16 utterly refutes this, this kind of a mentality, this doctrine. Because the miracle occurred only with the name of Jesus and faith. Mm -hmm. And the man was miraculously healed. Mm -hmm. I thank God that miracles are for today. Can you say amen? amen. God's still doing miracles. And so there are those who don't receive it. So the miracle that took place in Acts 3.16 was only by faith. And the name of Jesus, both of which we have access to today. So, these folks will never receive. They won't obtain like precious faith. These are what they, we call them today the secessionists. The, 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 the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Okay? They are the Sadducees of today. Because the Sadducees didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural. So the secessionists are the, are the Sadducees of today. But it's really important that we understand that we have a precious faith, a powerful faith, a pure faith. Why is our faith precious? Because it moves mountains, the sick are healed, the captives are free. Our gospel is a gospel of power. Our God is a mighty God. When we preach His word, signs and wonders take place. People get saved, they get healed, they get delivered because it's a gospel of power. And I thank God that, that he still wants to do the same things today in the church that he did through the disciples in Christ in, in days gone by. So we have the same precious faith. The last thing I want to draw your attention to in verse 1 is this. Simon Peter, I'm reading up the verse again. Simon Peter and the apostle uh, of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The last part, through our, uh, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is incredibly important to understand. Because there are people like Dan Brown and his Da Vinci Code oh. that, uh, who have gone around and said, hey, uh, the, it was the church that created Jesus as God. <laughs> That's utter rubbish. It couldn't be more further from the truth. He said in the Council of Nicaea in, in 325 AD, they, they did all this revision, revisionist <laughs> history. Okay, And so, uh, and this is where the church actually proclaimed Jesus as God. <sighs> Excuse me. Uh, it's absolute garbage, you know. 
Uh, the Council of Nicaea happened nearly 300 years after the Bible. Okay? Uh, and they said, at the Council of Nicaea, this is Dan Brown's claim, he said that Jesus was voted in by a narrow margin as God. <laughs> this guy is a heretic of monstrous proportions. The reason he does that, he has twisted church history and he's maligned the, the Gospels to sell books. That's, I believe that's why he's out there doing this. That's his motivation. Um, it was a relatively close vote, by the way, according to Dan Brown. Jesus just scraped in and been gone. Okay. But what does the Bible actually teach? The Bible teaches, this is 300 years before the Council of Nicaea. Do you remember when, when uh, Thomas saw Jesus after the resurrection? He recognized that this was Jesus who died upon the cross. He saw the nail prints in, he, in his hands and his feet and his side. And he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So right here in the beginning, Jesus is still around. The church is proclaiming that Jesus is God. Dan Brown, get your facts straight. Yeah. And we need to remember this. Because, man, we've been challenged. And so we need to be able to give an account of this and, and, and uh, actually disprove this. In fact, 10 of the 12 disciples actually died as martyrs for their extreme faith, believing that Jesus is God. Okay? And so it's the very foundation of the church is that Jesus is God. In fact... This is not revisionist history at all, as Dan Brown claims. From the very outset, Peter in his letter affirmed the deity of Jesus Christ. He called Jesus our God and our Savior. These are not two different people. They describe one person, Jesus Christ. Paul used a similar expression in Titus 2.10 and in, in 3.4 to show that Jesus is God. This is 300 years before the Council of Nicaea. Titus 2.10 says this. is written about 30 years after Jesus died. It says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Well, who's our Savior? Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus. And so we, we, we see very clearly that Jesus has been proclaimed as God right here yeah. in Titus 2.10. Again, uh, the Bible is teaching us that God, uh, that Jesus is God and Savior. Again, Titus 3.4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior towards men appeared. God our Savior, one and the same. So that's, that's why this, this last verse is so extremely important. This is written 30 years after the death of Christ. This is not revisionist history. This is actual history. Can you say amen? Amen. In my opinion, Dan Brown is an absolute heretic that completely misrepresented and twisted church history for his own ends, that he might sell books. Okay. We finished verse one. Yay! Okay. I'm excited about that even if you want. Okay. Verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many times have we read that? Probably thousands and thousands of times. Every time you open an epistle, grace and peace, uh, grace and peace. To the Romans, grace and peace. To the Ephesians and the Colossians, grace and peace. We've heard it thousands and thousands of times, but many have failed to comprehend the beauty 
and the power and the depth of these words. They are extremely powerful. When we fully grasp the implication of what's been said here, it'll literally blow our minds. So we're going to explore what that means, grace and peace, this morning. And if we, uh, if we understand and start applying the mechanics of this particular verse, it will revolutionize your life. It will transform you. It will encourage you and bless you. And the greater the revelation we have of this understanding, the greater the impact and blessing upon our life. Amen? Amen. So we, we can have much more of God if we, if we spend time to, in His presence gaining revelation that will impact and bless our life. So this word grace, grace and peace be multiplied. Grace is the Greek word charis. And charis means the benefit of grace, kindness, the gift of favor. It really means undeserved favor. Grace is everything for nothing, for those who don't deserve anything. I love that definition. Grace is everything for nothing for those who don't deserve anything. Grace is God's incredible blessing to the undeserving. Oh, thank you, God. You know, I like Dr. Donald Barnhouse's uh, explanation of grace, uh, and I've used it for many years, but uh, he was the one who came up with it. He said, grace as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything that Jesus had, he's given to you and I as a gift, even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. In fact, one of the, 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 the explanations that he gives is this. Grace is everything God has for you, even though you don't deserve it. When a person works eight hour a day and receives pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives recognition for long service and high achievement, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prizes, and deserves no awards, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's grace. Yeah. Hallelujah. <coughs> Merited favor. Unmerited favor. So I want to look at two biblical pictures to expand our understanding of grace this morning. And they're both found in the Old Testament. And I want to look, at, first of all, at the life of David, and then we're going to look at the life of Solomon. And uh, I want us to look from the very beginning of David's life. He was a poor shepherd boy, you know, looking after a few sheep, the Bible says. They weren't very successful farmers. They only had a few sheep. They didn't have much until grace starts to operate in David's life. I want to make this statement. God is forever gracious towards sinners. Yes. Absolutely. God is forever gracious towards sinners. You know, one thing we have in common is that we, we've, all, we've all done wrong and we all feel guilty about it. But here is Jesus meeting one of the deepest needs of mankind when he offers us his grace. God is forever gracious towards sinners. One day as he's watching these few sheep, David, the great psalmist of Israel, writes these words in Psalm 25 and verse 4. David writes, and you can see his heart here. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and faithfulness and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, you only and altogether, do I wait expectantly all the day long. 
Hallelujah. You know, that caught God's attention. When he penned those words, God uh, was, was looking down and David began to pour out grace upon his life. And how David's life changed from that moment on. The long and the short story, uh, make a long story short, shall I say, uh, was that God exalts David to an extreme position in the army. He becomes one of the most powerful and successful leaders in Israel's army. And ultimately, he ends up as the king of the nation. So this humble shepherd boy with only a few sheep ends up ruling the entire nation. God has given him everything into, into his hands. And on one, you know, it, uh, it's quite interesting as you look at David's life. The Bible says that God made even his enemies to be at peace with him. Man, what a beautiful promise. You having trouble with somebody at work? God can make even your enemies. You having trouble with a spouse or a child? God can make even your enemies to be at peace with you. And so uh, he had this most incredible reign. You know, he, had, he was successful, he was prosperous, and he had a peaceful reign. On one occasion, God says to David, I gave you his palace, I gave you his wives, and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Our God is the God of much, much more. Amen? This is God's grace. This is the power of grace in your life. God's blessing is without limits. No good thing will He withhold to them that walk uprightly. God wants to bring His grace into our lives. So, that's what grace did for, for David. Let's look at Solomon. God appears, and you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verses 5. God appears to Solomon in a dream, and He says, What shall I give you? I don't know what your answer would be to that question. Um, I, I, would like, I would like to think about that before I, before I answer. But I'll tell you what, what Solomon did. He said, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And he was, God was delighted with that. And God pours out his grace upon Solomon. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. It says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life, or the wealth of yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be anyone like you, nor ever will be. I'm sorry, Einstein. I am sorry, Stephen Hawking, but Solomon is still the wisest of all men. Amen. <laughs> God goes on, he says, Moreover, I will give unto you what you have not asked for. Is that not grace? This is undeserved favor. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal amongst kings. Man, the kings looked at, at Solomon and said, There's never been a kingdom like this before. No equal amongst kings. And if thou wilt walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen my days. God's grace gave him unparalleled wisdom, honor, and fame. You know, it was so incredible that, that in other countries they were hearing about his wisdom and the things that God was doing. This unprecedented grace in his life. And the Queen of Sheba got to hear about it. 
And uh, she came traveling with her entourage right across the country and went from country to country to eventually she came. She says, I heard about the fame, uh, your wisdom, the grandeur of your palaces and everything that you, you did, but I didn't believe it. I have to come see for myself. And so she comes, she travels with her entourage and she finally arrives there and she is, we'd say today, gobsmacked. She is absolutely stunned. And her word says, you know, what does she say? <laughs> the half of it has not been told me. I, I've heard, but the half of it has not been told. In fact, uh, she said, everything I've seen far exceeds everything that I was told. Man, she was blessed. That's grace. That's undeserved favor. Fame, fortune. And uh, it was just overtaking him in an incredible way. So he was blessed far and above all that he could ask or imagine. And that, my friends, is the power of grace. God wants to bless your life. I thank God that He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. And He wants the very best for us. This is God's heart. Can you say amen? Amen. So, uh, we are blessed far and above all that we could ask or imagine. That's the power of grace. And if you would like more of God's grace in your life, would you shout amen this morning? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want more of that kind of grace in my life. Amen. So God is offering to every believer this kind of grace and undeserved favor. It's yours for the asking this morning. And if grace, if this is all we got from grace, how wonderful would that be? Amen. But you know, it's amazing because that definition is not broad enough. There's still more to grace that we need to understand. There's still a greater blessing. This definition of grace is still too narrow. Uh, so it encompasses so much more. How many would like to hear about more about grace? Yes. Okay. So look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15 says this. But the gift is not as the trespass. It's speaking about uh, the, the difference between Adam's sin and, and Christ's blessing. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more? God is the God of much, much more. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? You've heard the saying, where sin abounds, grace much more. This is grace. Grace is really the quality in God that produces gifts for guilty sinners in salvation. Love that. Let me say that again. God, grace is the quality in God that produces gifts, free gifts, for guilty sinners in salvation. I'm so glad. Because our eternal salvation depends on unmerited favor. None of us would be saved if grace were not undeserved favor. Can you say amen? amen? This is the wonderful gift that we have. Grace is far more than just a blessing. It's an empowerment and a force. It's an ability from God. There's more to this grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Yes. Grace to help in a time of need. You're in trouble. You need grace. 
And God says, you come to my throne and you will get grace. So what does that mean? Grace is then seen as a power or ability to overcome in the time of need. Grace is the, the power or the ability to overcome in a time of need. Again, Jesus says to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, uh, when, when he says, um, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Again, we see the same principle. Uh, it pictures grace as a power or an influence for obedience. So we need to broaden our understanding of grace to include all these terms because they're all in the Bible. This is a more rounded and better balanced view of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It is the blessing of God, but it's also the empowerment, the force, or the ability to enable us to walk in victory. Grace is the power that leads to godliness and eternal life. Can you say amen? amen. Thank God for grace. Grace is working in your life right now. Hallelujah. We are on to verse 2 this morning. Hallelujah. Second Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. God is the God of much, much more. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. When the Bible speaks about peace, it's rich and full in meaning. Most of us kind of think of, of peace as an absence of strife, uh, you know, a lack of conflict. Like when, when two warring nations actually finally call it, call it quits, what do they do? They sign a peace treaty. And that's how we think of peace. But biblical peace is much, much more wonderful than that. The, 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 the word peace in Greek is arene, and arene does mean peace, but it also means quietness and, and rest. But more than that, it, it, there are multiple meanings, there are multiple layers to this word arene. It means, uh, it, as a verb, it literally and figuratively means to prosper. I just about fell off my seat when I saw that. So God wants, in His grace, to prosper you, literally and figuratively. I never thought of peace in that way. And that made me think that, hey, if, if peace has the multifaceted, it's very akin to the, the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom has multifaceted. It's a greeting, but it also means healing, means deliverance. There are multitudes of, of definitions to the word shalom. And so uh, this is, the Greek word here is very much like the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, you know, uh, shalom alekim, may peace remain with you. And so uh, we find that there's this richness about the peace that God wants to bring into our life. He wants to bring us prosperity. He wants to bring us rest. He wants to bring us all the good things, quietness and blessing into our life. The truth is, we live in a fallen world, don't we? And we all go through times when it's really stressful. It's like all hell is breaking loose against us. God, what on earth is going on? Everything's going wrong, you know. Uh, the, the kids are rioting, and you know, the, the dog's barking, and everything's going wrong. And it's, it feels like a whole world's pouring, falling apart. At times like this, we need to stop and receive God is offering God's peace. He's offering us peace. When our world is falling to pieces, God is wanting to bring peace into our life. When we don't know what to do, God wants to give peace. God says, my peace I give unto you. And when we receive God's peace, you have to receive it 
we, we, we enter into that place of quietness and rest. Contrary, or conversely, you know, we, we can focus on the chaos that's going around about us and we remain in stress and turmoil and, uh, you know, life is incredibly difficult. Or we can choose to accept God's peace and rest within any situation, knowing that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. If you truly believe that, it doesn't matter what you're going through. God will make all things beautiful in His time. He's put a way for you to go through this. I want to give you one last picture of, of peace as we start to think about drawing this to a close. And it really, it's found in Acts chapter 12. Remember when Herod is persecuting the church. He's just killed James, uh, the brother of the Lord, and uh, with the sword, and he's now arrested Peter, and Peter's in jail, and he intends to, to kill him as well. P Peter knew full well that what was awaiting him. He knew that death was coming. And I was thinking about his reaction. Do we see Peter ranting and raving at the injustice of this? Lord, I've served you faithfully, but that old fox is trying to kill me. He's going to murder me. I'd be, kind of, I'd be kind of upset. You know, I've done nothing wrong. This is unjust. God, what's going on? This is wicked. This is evil. Lord, slay this murderous king. Anybody feel like they, they might identify with me? <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Uh, no, that's not what happened. That's not what, what was happening uh, to Peter. You know, was he terrified? at the prospect of being murdered the next morning? That's a pretty stressful situation. No, he was at peace. He knows that tomorrow he'll be with the Lord. He knows where he's going, that death uh, will pass. He'll go into uh, God's presence where there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. Where God himself will wipe away every tear from his life. He's actually looking forward. Like, like Paul, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the strait between the two. I don't know whether to, to die or whether to remain here with you. But I, I want to I be with the Lord. So here he is the night before his execution. He's in jail, chained between two soldiers awaiting death. What's he doing? He's calm. He's so calm, he falls asleep. He's resting in the peace of God. How amazing is God's peace. Not even a death sentence can disturb God's peace. Mm. Now that's living, isn't it? I want to get myself some of that, that peace. Amen? I want to live in that peace. And this is what God is offering to each and every one of us. My, my grace and peace be multiplied unto you. This is what God wants each and every one of us to have. Peter is telling us we can have more grace, we can have more peace in your life. Look at what the, the Lord says to us. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. You don't get it all at once. But there's more grace and there's more peace. It's talking about increase. It's talking about growth. It's talking about a proliferation of grace and peace in your life. To me, when I, when I understand these definitions, I look at this and I say, wow, well, this is exciting. I want this. How about you? Anybody want this? Amen. So, the NIV says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
Jesus is our Saw Shalom, the Prince of Peace. When we come to Him, we can receive the peace of God in any circumstance, in any situation. Come to Him and receive His peace. The greater our revelation of God, the greater the impact, the greater the blessing of God in our life. We need to feed on the Word of God. Anakonosis. Renew and renovate our mind. And I close with the scripture. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. God's plans for you are amazing. He wants to take you from glory to glory. He wants to pour out His love and His acceptance, His mercy, His grace and His peace upon us so that life is worth living. There's a joy in serving Jesus. Can we say amen? amen. God is wonderful. God loves us. So let's just bow our heads this morning in Jesus' name. Father, as we consider the lives we live, how stressed and, and fraught we become with all that's going on in our lives. And, uh, Lord, but you've asked us to receive this grace and peace. Lord, you're the God of much, much more. Even though we don't deserve it, your blessing, you want to bless our life. And so, Lord, we, we, we ask you this morning as our heads are bowed and uh, Lord, we ask that you would extend to us and multiply unto us grace and peace for daily living. That this week will be a week of unprecedented grace and peace this week. Lord, that we would just know the joy of the Lord, the fullness of, of your fellowship. That, Lord, we walk in the glory and the anointing of your Son, Jesus. Lord, that we'd be so consumed with the blessings that you are pouring out upon us that we, our worship would go to another level, that we would extol you, our prayer life would go to another level. Lord, our sanctification would go to another level, that we'd be loving you and serving you with all our heart, soul, and strength. And so, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for each and every person that's come this morning, and I pray your blessing of grace and peace to be ours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Pastor, that was just...